This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Our scripture reading this morning, uh, we have two passages from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And from Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, Please be seated. So again, this morning is our third uh, sermon in the sermon series that we've entitled uh, Seeing and Displaying Jesus, uh, Beholding and Becoming uh, the Gospel. Uh, Why are you alive? Why do you exist? Uh, Why why are you here on earth? Why are you not already in paradise with Jesus? Right? I mean, if you think about it, uh, this life is good, but this life is hard. From what we understand, uh, those who are already with Jesus are in perfect bliss. Why are we here? Why why did God leave us on this earth? Uh, If you're investigating Christianity, you might be coming to the Christian faith to investigate because you're driven by very similar questions. Maybe you're getting old enough to begin to understand that the things that you have thought so far that would satisfy you aren't satisfying you. Maybe you're beginning to ask the same question. Why am I here? In short, you're alive. You exist. You're on this earth to see Jesus and to display Jesus. The purpose of life is to behold and to intentionally see and to, amid all of the distractions of life, the the, the goal is to focus on Jesus and to focus on his gospel, his good news of salvation, and then to display Jesus in your life, to become Jesus, to become his gospel uh, in this world. If you were to just ask, what is the Christian life? What is the life of the Christian disciple? I can't think of a better biblical response than a Christian increasingly sees and displays Jesus. A Christian increasingly fixes the eyes of their heart upon Jesus and his love to them. And then this, 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 the same Christian increasingly endeavors to become the heart and the mouth and the hands and the feet and the love of Jesus in their relationships in this world. And so this is our third sermon in this series. And, and the first sermon, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians three eighteen in depth. And we said that that would be our foundational verse, that a lot of times we study through books of the Bible in our series, but from this series, we would build a series on top of that one verse, going into other verses in order to better understand uh, that one verse. Last week, I, had, uh, I gave you a sermon uh, on sort of an introduction to and... Um, 
uh, you might say, um, uh, I introduced the concept and I kind of summarized the concept of seeing Jesus. So we said there's two sides of this equation, seeing Jesus and displaying Jesus. And last week, we just said from 50,000 feet, what does it mean to see Jesus? And I promised you that in the coming weeks and months, we'd have multiple sermons uh, going deeper into the idea of seeing Jesus. But we just started with that overview in that introduction. And in the same way, this week, I want to give you an overview uh, of and an introduction to the concept of displaying Jesus. What do we mean when we say that the Christian life includes increasingly displaying Jesus? I want to answer it uh, three ways. I want to answer that question three ways. Displaying Jesus in summary, displaying Jesus in particular situations, and displaying Jesus in sequence, okay? Summary, situations, sequence. So first, displaying Jesus uh, in summary. Uh, so by in summary, I mean in short. What, in short, what do I mean when I say a Christian or a Christian disciple increasingly displays Jesus? Uh, look to the screen. I'll give you a, a summary statement. I mean this. Christians are to be in their lives a physical expression of or manifestation of or representation of Jesus on this earth. Uh, if you get your worship folder insert out, you'll see 2 Corinthians 3.18. Look there with me now. Let's, let's consider that verse uh, just for a second again. The verse says, and we all beholding the glory of the Lord. So we all seeing Jesus, we all beholding the gospel. Remember how chapter four uh, describes the glory of the Lord as Jesus's face and the gospel of Jesus. And so we all seeing Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Paul doesn't say that we're being transformed into the same idea or into the same message. He says that we're actually being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The Greek word for image is the word icon, literally icon. It's the word for statue, it's sometimes translated as idol. It's the Greek word for a physical representation of a God. It's the Greek word for a physical representation of God. And so in the same way that the people of the ancient Near East had these icons that were for them physical representations of their God, Paul says that the real and living God, Yahweh, has put his spirit into believers to make them more and more an expression of, a manifestation of, a representation of Jesus and his good news. To display Jesus is more than simply to convey him or to communicate him. It is to image him. It is to physically and actually represent him as he, by his Holy Spirit, lives within us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he gives another description of believers. This is literally a chapter and a half later. He develops this idea a little more. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ. In Paul's day and age, more than our day and age, an ambassador was essentially understood to be a stand-in or a, a physical representation of a king and of his kingdom. And in Paul's day, when an ambassador was present, people lived as though the king were present. Displaying Jesus is seeing your life through the lens of being this ancient Near East ambassador 
On the one hand, this is an incredible honor. We as Christians stand in the very place of the King of Kings to a world in desperate need of him. But at the same time, being an ambassador of Christ is a very humbling thing. An ambassador lived to promote the king's agenda and lived to promote the king's policy. The ambassador was never there to to wax eloquent on their own ideas. The ambassador's role was to be there to present the ideas of the king. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ. He doesn't say we're there negotiating a deal between someone and his kingdom. He says we're there because God is making his appeal through us. And so Paul says we're a living representation of the king. We're icons. He says we're ambassadors, that we're here in the place of God to give his message to the world. It was considered high treason for an ambassador to represent anything uh, other than the will of his king. They were vessels. They were mouthpieces. They were instruments. They They were representatives. Not to represent what they thought was best for the, the country in which they were sent, but to represent what the king told them was best in the country they were sent uh, to represent the king in. And so to display Jesus in, in summary or in general or in total from 50,000 feet, when we use that language, we mean that we're icons of Jesus. We mean that we're ambassadors of Jesus. Or in chapter 4 and in chapter 6, again of 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul says that we're servants of God. I mean, the Bible, of course, says that we're children of God because he's father. But more often, the Bible says we're servants of God because he's Lord. And of course, it's a joy and a delight to serve a God who is so gracious and loving and a God who would die for us, but he's still our master. If you will, the seeing Jesus side of the equation is more about, is more about God as Savior The displaying Jesus side of the equation is more about God as Lord. As it says in Acts, he's our savior and he's our leader. Displaying Jesus means that when people come into contact with you, they experience Jesus. His agenda, his love, his gospel, his economy, his values, his philosophy. That when people experience us, they experience him. As we mature in the faith, we we increasingly understand that we're here on this earth to display Jesus and not ourselves. We're here as icons, as ambassadors, as servants. This is why we're still on earth and not in heaven with Jesus. Do Do you remember from our series on Philippians where Paul was when he wrote that letter? He was in prison. He was in prison awaiting trial before Caesar and he was in prison waiting to learn if he was going to be executed or not. He had no idea what Caesar's docket was for that day, that week, or that month. All he would know is that he would be beckoned into Caesar's presence and Caesar with the thumb up or the thumb down would either extend Paul's life or end Paul's life. Literally, when he penned the letter, within an hour, he could be a free man or a dead man. Life and death right in front of him. What does he famously say in chapter one, verse 21? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's how you understand life when it all boils down to life and death. For me to be alive is Christ. For me to die is gain. In verse 23, in that same chapter, Paul elaborates on what he means when he says to die is gain. He says to die and and to be with Christ is better by far. 
He says it's far better to die than to be alive on this earth. In verse 22, he elaborates on what he meant when he said to live as Christ. He says, if I'm to remain in the body, that means fruitful labor for me. For me to live as Christ and fruitful labor, for me to die is gain. That's far better. And so a faithful Christian, when processing life most biblically, constantly thinks this, I'm still alive in this mortal body, and what that tells me is that I have more chores to do for Jesus. When experiencing the days between a scan or a biopsy and the results of that scan or that biopsy, in large part, a wise believer processes that time of mystery in this way. If the cancer has spread and I'm presumably closer to dying, then I must not have that many chores left. I must not have that much fruitful labor left on my contract. But if the cancer is in remission, then from what I can tell, God has more for me to do. God has predestined and foreordained for me to to display Jesus longer and to more people. A mature believer, when processing life and death biblically, thinks and emotes and believes at least this and fundamentally this at the funeral of a believer, their chores were done. They've accomplished their portfolio for displaying Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To display Jesus, to become the icon of Jesus, to become the embodiment of the gospel, to become a manifestation of him so that people experience him and not you when they experience you. Means that you have to see your life as a daily dying to self. This was the mindset of the ambassador. This is what the servant thought when they got out of bed. Not my will, but the will of my master be done. We think ambassador, we think high profile politician. An ambassador in Paul's days was nothing more than a white-collar servant. One that usually died faster than one working in the fields. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. Put this on the screen. You're, You're not your own. Glorify God in your body. You don't have possession of your life. God does. Glorify God in your body. I love how Paul doesn't say glorify God in your life or glorify God in yourself. He's reminding us that our body is becoming an image, an icon, a living statue, a breathing icon of Jesus. And Paul says, as such, in all that you do, glorify and magnify and honor and promote and lift up, express Jesus and his kingdom. Listen again to Paul's plea from Romans chapter 12, verse one. He says, it's in your worship folder. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In your life and in your body, be a living sacrifice. Be a living, dying person. What does that mean? I mean, it means this. As you live, die to yourself. As you live, die to your agenda. As you live, die to living your life for your gain and your advantage. And so if we ask, what is displaying Jesus in summary, in short, in total, what does that mean? It means I look to my future and I do not ask, what do I want to do with my life? I look to my future and I ask, what does Jesus want to do with this life? I'm here to image, represent, and serve him. Not my will, but his will be done.
Jesus famously said in Luke 9, on the screen behind me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To display Jesus in summary means that we stop compartmentalizing Jesus to Sundays and quiet times and group nights. And we daily sacrifice our lives to Jesus by asking, not what do I want to do in this day, but what does Jesus want me to do in this day? And so displaying Jesus in summary is to live life for Jesus, is to live like life like an ambassador and a servant and an indwelt icon. It is to live life wherein when people experience us, they don't experience us, they experience Jesus through us. That's what we mean by displaying Jesus in total, in summary, in short. But secondly, secondly for today, displaying Jesus in situations or in particular situations. And all I want to do in this point is to zoom in on various facets of our life and understand that displaying Jesus is very robust. Let me, let me, let me say it this way. If you hear the first point and you've concluded that this afternoon you need to go and purchase a megaphone and stand on a street corner and preach Jesus, okay, if you hear that in the first point, you need to hear this in the second point. That may be God's direction for you, but probably not. That may be God's direction for you, but that's probably not God's direction for all of us. If you heard in the first point, I need to sell my house, I need to buy a one-way ticket to a third world country, I need to build an orphanage and never use modern technology again. If that's what you heard in the first point, you probably need to hear the second point. That may be God's direction for you, but I'm doubting it. That may be God's direction for you, but that's not God's direction for all of us. If you've concluded that as an icon and as an ambassador and as a servant of God, all the details of my life have to change, if that's the conclusion from the first point, you need to hear the second point. It is more likely that the motives for all the details of your lives need to change more than all the details themselves need to change. It is more likely that the motives for all the details of your life need to change more than the details themselves needing to be changed. Let's tease that out. Remember that this is an introduction to, and this is an overview to the displaying Jesus side of the equation. And hopefully we'll have many sermons to come teasing this idea out of what does it mean to display Jesus? And so in this series, we will, Lord willing, have sermons on evangelism. We will not tell you which bull, bullhorn to buy for the corner, okay? We will talk about how to display Jesus through words to the people that you're in relationship with. That's a part of displaying Jesus, but we also want to have sermons in this series on compassionate mercy, where we learn how to display Jesus, not just with our words, but through our works, not just with our proclamation, but with our deeds. Both of those are displaying Jesus. So in this series, we're also, Lord willing, going to have sermons on what I call spirit-produced character, where we understand that through honesty and self-control and even righteous anger, without saying a word, we display Jesus in our lives. But while we'll have, Lord willing, these sermons on spirit-produced character, I hope to have sermons on spirit-led calling. In other words, I want us to learn how to lean into the life and uniquely display Jesus in the life that God has called us to. Why do you have the childhood you, you had? Why, why do you have the education you have? Why, why do you have certain resources and you don't have other resources? What are your talents and your gifts and your passions? And why, if God is sovereign over everything, would he give those to you? 
And so displaying Jesus is probably going to be more about redeeming the motives behind what you're already doing than changing an awful lot of what you're doing. It would be very unloving for me uh, to sell the house, buy a one-way ticket, and take my entire family to a third-world country. But maybe in this series, we'll have some sermons on parenting. What does it mean to display Jesus to my children? What does it mean to be an icon of Jesus and the embodiment of the gospel for my kids? What does it mean for my children to not primarily interact with me, but to interact, interact primarily with Jesus when they see and interact with me? You see what I mean by the particular situations of your life? Maybe in this uh, series, we'll have some sermons on singleness and marriage. Whether we're single or whether we're married, biblically, our primary endeavor in life is to display Jesus. And, and the Bible's clear that some of us are called to display Jesus in and through the constraints of a marriage. And some of us are called by God to enjoy the freedom of displaying Jesus as a single person. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You see, displaying Jesus in summary is to become the icon of or the ambassador for Jesus. But displaying Jesus in summary is to lose, is to lose our lives uh, so that we might find our lives. That's big picture, looking at the totality of your life. That's what it means to display Jesus. But displaying Jesus in particular situations is to ask in every moment of my life, what does it look like to image Jesus right now? I think this in part is why Jesus put the word daily in Luke chapter nine. Hear it again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If Jesus was, if Jesus was calling his entire church to instant martyrdom, he would have taken daily out. At that point, the successfully displaying of Jesus would have been uh, martyrdom and not this ongoing decision every day to follow Jesus and to represent Jesus in my life. When Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me, he, he's telling me that my obedience to him yesterday doesn't fulfill my responsibility in this day. And he's also saying that my failure yesterday doesn't preclude me from the honor of obeying him today. Similarly, this is, this is part of why I believe Paul writes in Romans 12, uh, he says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Again, if Paul's call was for instant martyrdom, he would, have, he would have written this, present your body as a sacrifice. Once and for all, it's over. But Paul writes it in the Greek in such a way that it's an ongoing present. He is saying in every present moment, anytime it's called now, right now, present your body as a living sacrifice. What does it look like to image Jesus in this situation? What does it look like for me to become a living sacrifice in the nitty gritty details of life? What does it look like to represent Jesus to the guy with the megaphone on the corner? What does it look like to represent Jesus, uh, 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 to become a manifestation of Jesus uh, in, in this business deal that's gone well or gone poorly? What does it look like to become an expression of the gospel to the idiot who just cut me off on the road? Uh, probably starts not calling him I'm an idiot. Uh, how do I offer the non-anxious presence of Jesus to my family members when they're so anxious? about the future? How do I image Jesus as a banker and as a carpenter and as a doctor and as a student and as a teacher and as a retiree? What does it look like to be Jesus to my toddler with an ear infection? How do I display Jesus when I hear of the injustice and the horrible kidnapping of hundreds of girls around the world? 
What does it look like there, in that moment, to act and to emote and to speak like Jesus? The list could go on and on. But I just wanted to introduce in this point that, that regarding displaying Jesus, we're gonna keep coming back to this concept and flesh it out in a lot of ways. Listen to this. The call to display Jesus doesn't necessarily or even usually extricate you from your current life, but it transforms your understanding of your current life and radically alters the motivations within that life. The call to display Jesus is not to pull you out of your life. It is to push you into your life with different motivations and different understandings. So hopefully, we'll unpack that more and more in time. Okay, finally for today, displaying Jesus in sequence. And by sequence, I, of course, uh, mean order. And of course, it started with an S. And so since I pushed situations upon you, in particular would have been better, I'll push sequence on you as well, because it alliterates. So displaying Jesus in sequence. Okay, so think about it like this. Uh, If as an image of Jesus or as an ambassador of Jesus, if your goal is for others to experience Jesus and not you, if your goal is for others to experience the gospel and not you, what do you have to experience? What What do you have to be experiencing before others can experience that in you? Jesus and the gospel. I wanna look more closely at two verses that I've already read to you tell you a few illustrations and I want to close. Uh, on the screen behind me will be uh, a portion of Romans 12.1. If you want to see the verse in its totality, it's in your worship folder uh, insert. Okay? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore siblings by, and it's literally in the Greek, through the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, through the mercies of God, uh, wherein you don't die for your sins. So through the mercies of God, uh, wherein you're declared righteous in Jesus. Through the mercies of God, wherein God adopts you into his family. Through the mercies of God, wherein God's spirit lives inside of you to transform you and to pour the Father's love into your heart. So through that mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And of course, this is not chapter one, verse one, this is chapter 12, verse one. And so for 11 chapters, Paul has been arguing that we're holy and acceptable before God, not because we give our lives in service, but because Jesus offered up his life as the acceptable sacrifice in our place on the cross. And so he is saying, when you give your life, you're already holy and acceptable. And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he concludes the verse this way. This is your, quote, spiritual worship. Now, this is a really bad translation. The the word rendered spiritual is actually in the Greek, the word logikos. It is the word from which we get logic. The word means rational. The word means to deduce. The word means logical. You might say, in context, the word means sequence. This is why the footnote in the ESV says that rational service is a very good option. That means in the next translation or iteration of the ESV, it's going to say rational service. That's basically what that means. That's just a guess. But I'll bet you $5. (laughs) Paul is saying that being a living sacrifice, being a living dying person is just rational. It is just logical. He is saying in view of the mercies of God where God sacrificed himself, where God gave his life for your life. 
He's like, in view of that, he says, see the sequence of displaying Jesus. It, it is not love others and you can be loved. It's, it's this, you're so deeply loved, love others. This sequence is seen over and over and over in the Bible. I won't have you go back uh, to the epistle from Peter that was our call to worship, but if you look there later, you're gonna see this sequence of Jesus going first for us, Jesus going second through us. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Again, it's gonna be on the screen behind me. It says, you are not your own. And then before I had a little dot, 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 because I wanted to cut out this part so I could show it to you now. You're not your own. You're an ambassador. You're a servant. You're one who lives their life for the king. What does it say? You were bought with a price. You were redeemed with a price. He's talking about the precious blood of Jesus. He's like, you're not your own because Jesus purchased you out of hell and death. So, therefore, in light of that, logically it flows. Glorify God in your body. The sequence is not glorify God and you can become his possession. The sequence is by the precious blood of Jesus, you are his treasured possession. So now you're not your own. You belong to the king. Glorify the king in your body. And so I was talking about this last night with our children, this concept of sequencing. Uh, this reality that you have to see Jesus in order to display Jesus, that you have to behold the gospel in order to become the gospel. You have to experience Jesus dying to give you life in order to give your life to other people. And I asked them to brainstorm with me illustrations that would help, help us all this morning understand this concept of sequencing. And we came up with two. Uh, we came up with more, but I'll, I'll spare you of those. Uh, we came up with two that I, that I can share. One is ordinary, the other is gross. But there was an eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy in the room, so that's to be expected. It's gross, but it's memorable. It's gross, but it's more accurate. Okay, so first, the ordinary one. Imagine that four or five of our community group friends are over for dinner, and we all sit down to this amazing spread of food. And imagine that I realize that there are empty water glasses in front of all of my guests. Sequencing is me uh, grabbing a large pitcher, filling it up with water at the sink, and going and pouring that water into everyone's glass. To give my friends the water, I had to go first and be supplied by the source of water. I didn't within myself have what they needed, but I knew where to go and get it. In other words, we don't produce the water. We're a conduit for the water. Second, and this one's a little gross, but I think it actually illustrates the point a lot better. How do uh, brand new baby birds get their food? Before they can fly, their mom goes and gets a worm, ingests the worm, and then I don't know what word to use here other than vomit. <laughs> Vomits the worm into the mouth of the baby bird. And you see, this by far is superior to the previous illustration on displaying Jesus. Because in the first illustration, the water was outside of me the whole time and I was just serving it to other, other people. But in the second illustration, the life-giving food is inside of me. And then I give it to you. In the call to display Jesus, you and I cannot produce Jesus out of nothing. There is a sequence. We have to first see Jesus and then we can display Jesus. We have to first ingest Jesus and then we can express Jesus. If your mom asks you today what you learned at church, 
Just tell her the gospel is something like vomiting into other people's mouths. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be the end of the conversation. In Mark chapter 12, there's a story that I think illustrates quite well what I'm trying to communicate to you today. Jesus, just days before his death, he is in the temple courts. And he's watching as people are putting money into the offering box. He's watching as people go up to this free will collection for the poor. And he's watching as people are putting money in. And Mark tells us that Jesus watches many rich people put in very large sums of money. And then Mark says that this poor widow comes forward and this poor widow puts in two small coins. And later in the story, we're told by Jesus that the widow put into the box all that she had. What does Jesus say about that? Does he say you had two coins? You should have put one coin in and saved the other. Does he say, I'm gonna cleanse this temple? This whole religion is unjust. What a fool for you to not check out the institution to which you were giving this money. I cannot believe you just did that. What does he say? It's one of the few compliments of Jesus to a human being in the Bible. He says, truly this poor widow has put in more than all of the others combined. Jesus said, according to his evaluation, this was more because all the others contributed out of their abundance. But Jesus said, she, con- she contributed out of her poverty all that she had. And in the Greek, in, our, in your English translation, it'll say something like uh, all that she had to live on or something like that. But in the Greek, it literally says she put in her life. Je- Jesus is saying that in the giving of the two coins, she was giving her life. He said, it's not more because it's more uh, financially than all the other gifts. It's more because this is an actual gift where she is saying, you can have my life. Before we close, think about the sequence. What happened before she gave her life? She watched another die in her place so that she could have forgiveness in life. It's the Passover. She's at the temple. Before contributors would ever go to this free will offering box, they would watch an animal die in their place as a sacrifice, showing them, according to the book of Hebrews, that one day the perfect human would die in their place as the penalty for their sins and give them forgiveness and give them grace and give them future and give them a life. And so before she takes her two coins and drops them into the box, before she says, here's my life, you can have it. She received that very same life from God through the sacrificial death of another. What is the irony of that? The sitting right there watching her put her two coins in the box is the other who will bring an end to all sacrifices as the spotless lamb of God. Let's pray. Most gracious God and heavenly father, we thank you that we do not have to do anything for you before everything has been done for us in Jesus. Lord, we thank you that as we come back from another week of doing less than displaying you, we see Jesus displayed to us as the sufficiency and the totality and the summary of all that we need to see. God, we just pray that this week by one degree of glory to the next, you might take that powerful good news and transform us and make us a little more into the image, into the icon of Jesus Christ. 
Holy Spirit, it sounds amazing to be used by you to give Jesus to other people. Would you please allow us to see the short-sightedness of living our lives for ourselves and not for you and for those you want to bless and those you want to save. Would you please allow us uh, in this week to feast on Jesus and to give Jesus away to others. It's in his name, name that we pray.